This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. How much more do we have to see the upside down world that we are currently living in before everybody understands what's really going on? The people who are making the decisions, the people who are actually in charge here are the ones that are pretending that they're either victimized themselves or that they're such friends to the victims. This is true all throughout American society now. I think that's why the Meghan Markle and Harry interview struck uh, such a chord with so many people, even though folks like me would usually say I could care less about the royal family. Everybody wants to be a victim these days, but it's not just that they want that elevation for themselves. They want to do it so that they can victimize others with impunity. This is what the left does now. This is the favorite game of the progressive left in America. We're so out of power that we can force you to say whatever we want and ruin your life and destroy your career unless you say exactly what we want. That's how out of power and depressed we are. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? It's a, a fascinating and really terrifying circumstance in its own way. But I also want you to be really careful with what you're doing online these days, because, as you know, you can't trust these big tech companies. I don't. I'm constantly battling with them. I use their platforms while I can, but I know that they're gathering all my data and information and that this stuff could be used against me. They could kick me off the platforms for wrong things. They've already done that. You don't think that can happen to you, too? Do you trust them? Do you want big tech to have your search history, your viewing habits? Do you know what they're going to do with that information? Yeah, they're going to sell it. What else are they going to do? Look, whenever you search for something online, you watch a video, you click a link, it gets tracked by big tech companies. They can match your activity to your true identity using your device's IP address. When I use ExpressVPN, these companies can't actually see my IP address the same way. My identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. My data is encrypted for maximum protection. Look, this is just the way you've got to be surfing the web using your online devices these days. You need ExpressVPN. VPN. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies and the government. Defend your privacy. Defend your rights the same way I do with a VPN that I trust for online protection. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three months extra free. That's right. Expressvpn.com slash buck right now to learn more. So the fascists that they uh, have been claiming would take over America at any moment under Trump never materialized. Here's what we're actually seeing. The people who have been complaining about Donald Trump becoming a fascist dictator are the actual fascists in America. They're the people that you could say they're totalitarians, authoritarians, but they are leveraging government power. They are using their uh, their ability to manipulate public perception, to fundamentally alter central principles of our society, things like free speech, things like equal protection under the law, not equity protection under the law, not these, uh, these, these changes to core ideas that our entire country, our entire civilization is built on, who are really the fascists, the people that believe in freedom, individual liberty, individual choice, constitutional protection for all regardless of one's politics or the people who say you're not really allowed to speak in the way you want you're not really allowed to share your ideas we'll shut you down the private sector will help us the public sector the government will do it 
who's really the bigger concern for your future? Uh, the Democrats now, you can call them commies, leftists, authoritarians, fascists, whatever it may be. They are certainly uh, they are certainly extreme in their approach to these political and cultural debates that are happening right now and also in, in their views, but also in their uh, in their approach to the very exchange of ideas. And that brings me to the Biden administration. Here we are two months in. You look at the Joe Biden administration and you say, where are things going well? I, I know we talk about Biden. Biden. We discuss how this guy doesn't really seem to be the president. You, you get the sense that at any moment they're going to have somebody else come out, maybe Kamala. They're going to have somebody else walk out. and Oh, no, this is really the president. Joe Biden was just kind of keeping the seat warm. You know, he was just there as a placeholder. I think you could say this is the placeholder presidency. This is a guy who's just in the role because they wanted somebody with a D by his or her name. But the moment that they feel they can make a switch, they will. The moment somebody who is uh, more charismatic comes along, somebody who actually has greater political skills, that will be uh, that will be it. And Joe Biden will step aside. He'll retire, whatever the case may be. Because let's look at what's really going on in the country. You have a crisis at our southern border that they are pathetically insisting is not a crisis. I mean, n nobody really believes that what's going on in, in any way is normal. And, and no one thinks that the government can handle this. But here's here's Jen Psaki, for example, White House press secretary, won't speak the plain truth about this issue. Remember when they were asking Kayleigh Mackin any questions when she was White House press secretary? Like, will you promise you'll never lie to the American people? You know, they would just ask these condescending, idiotic questions. Journalism. Well, here's the current White House press secretary for this this absurd Biden administration, just full of incompetence and ideologues. Here she is on the refusal to conform uh, to confirm there's a crisis at our southern border. Play nine. I, I we've been very clear uh, that there is an increase, that there are more children coming across the border than we have facilities for at this point in time. Uh, those numbers are tracked by the Department of Homeland Security. So I'm certainly I'm just suggesting that you talk to them about specifics. Well, we to them, Jen, they won't confirm the numbers. Well, I, I would encourage you to go back to them and ask them again. We're not going to confirm them from the White House. It's not our program. It's the are Department of Homeland Security. The department, is the White House encouraging the department to release those numbers? And in the spirit of transparency that the secretary promised here at this point, we, we certainly encourage transparency. But what I also also think is important is to talk about what the root causes are here and what we're doing from a policy standpoint to try to address the challenges uh, that we're facing and that these kids are facing as they come across the border. What does that even mean? They're asking you for numbers. The White House has the numbers. They're hiding the numbers. So this is the administration that we were promised was going to be about truth and transparency and on a major issue that affects the whole country, that affects the future of the United States. Enormous, uh, enormous impact on our, our politics, our culture, just everything about this country. I mean, the border, the border and border security matters for everything. And yet we can't get a straight answer from them because here's what's very obvious. You know, part of being a leftist, it really is a cult. Leftism is a cult today. And you know how they used to say, oh, you know, Trump supporters, they're, they're all really in a cult. Mm, no, look at what happened over four years with with Trump in office. What were the awful things that were going on with Trump in office when there was a border crisis? You know, what Trump said there's a crisis. Let's fix it. Let's do something about this. And Democrats actually try to stop him at every opportunity. They've restarted the crisis that began under Trump when we fixed it. Right. This is the problem. It's like Trump patched up the hole in the dam. 
Democrats came along and said, you know what? Let's put that. Let's let's put another hole in the dam. Let's see what happens. It's very obvious. It's very straightforward what's going on here. When people believe that they can stay in the United States if they come here illegally and there's a straightforward process for them to do it, they show up in large numbers because being in America is a better deal economically and otherwise than being in a handful of Latin American countries, uh, Central American countries, a whole bunch of places all over the world. It's not just Central American migrants who are showing up the border, but it's predominantly that. Remember how I've been telling you the cartels are making money off of this? And it might seem kind of counterintuitive. Can't anyone just go to the border? Not if you want to be reasonably or relatively speaking safe. Not if you want to avoid being human trafficked or sexually assaulted or any of those things. So they're now finding that there are color-coded wristbands given to these migrants by the cartels for paying the fee. This is big business for transnational drug cartels that create a tremendous amount of lawless and instability on our southern border and in this country. What do you think U.S. crime looks like? What is what is uh, the homicide rate and incarceration look like in the United States without the drug trade? And what happens without Mexican drug cartels supporting that supply side, that, that supply? What happens? Exactly. You definitely don't have over 75,000 people ODing, which you had last year in 2020. You definitely don't have that all time, all time record. Uh, so this is a crisis on multiple levels. They won't even say it. They won't speak truthfully to you about it. They're hiding the numbers. Go ask DHS. You're the White House press secretary, Saki. You ask DHS. So, OK, that's what's going on at the border. How are we doing with all the healing? You know, let, let's go down the report card here. How are we doing with all the healing from the Biden administration? Well, we've just seen the extension of over 2000 National Guard troops in D.C. They're supposed to stay now for an additional two months because of the threat of the QAnon coup. Not kidding. That's why they're there, because they really think that QAnon, uh, whose you know, m- most uh, most violent incident today did not actually involve the, the one on Capitol Hill on January 6th. They didn't kill any cops. That's not true. They broke property. They trespassed. They assaulted officers should be held accountable for any of the crimes committed. But it wasn't a, a it wasn't a violent insurrection by people armed and ready to murder and take over the United States government, which is what the mainstream media, the corporate media has been saying now for uh, for months. That's just not true. It was a riot. But we have to have thousands of National Guard troops there and fencing and all this stuff all over D.C. because of the paranoia of Democrats or because they're showing us who's in charge. It's tough to tell whether this is because they feel so secure in their authoritarian mindset, you know, we can do whatever we want now, or there's such a great insecurity. They feel like at any moment people will understand what a fraud the Democrat Party really is at its core. So that's what's going on in our nation's capital in D.C. We have one point nine trillion dollars of spending now that the, that the Congress is passing without a single Republican vote. No bipartisanship. Oh, but Buck, are Republicans bipartisan? They did five COVID bills last year with Democrats. Five. Democrats just figured we're going to get whatever we want. Our way or the highway. Deal with it. Elections have consequences. They have a will to power. You got to give them that. How's our respect for the rule of law going? Well, if you've been paying attention under this Biden administration to what's going on in, say, Minnesota where already there seems to be preparation for massive riots based on 
the outcome of the Chauvin trial, the officer Chauvin trial there. And if you read the autopsy report, guy, to, to say that Officer Chauvin committed murder beyond a reasonable doubt is entirely unreasonable based on the autopsy report itself that says that he had more than enough fentanyl in the system to kill him. And the guy had multiple, multiple uh, possible systemic failures that could have caused his death. But they're going to say, oh, we, we have a, a country of oppression and racism. And so if that means whole neighborhoods in Minneapolis have to get burned down again, you know, Joe Biden will give some milk toast statement. He'll give some bull crap. Oh, well, you know, lawlessness. You know, you have to respect our rule of law, comma. But sometimes you got to burn down whole neighborhoods because you're angry because of the wokeness or whatever. That's we all know that's coming. Gas prices going up. Two trillion dollars is spending a Democrat wish list. Everyone's concerned about inflation now who pays any attention to macroeconomics at all. Uh, where where are things getting better? Oh, you could have a a 14 year old boy competing against your 14 year old girl in sports now or 18 year old, you know, college age, whatever. No Keystone XL pipeline destroyed tens of thousands of jobs. What is getting better here exactly? Oh, the covid plan that they have, which was just the Trump plan called something else, essentially for vaccination. Look at the report card, go down the list. What has Biden made better? What is better in the country right now? You don't have Trump's tweets. I, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a trade off that any emotionally sound, you know, mentally well person would make. But this is where we are. now. This is the person that they insisted was going to make the country so much better. We're almost two months in. And so far, he's made pretty much everything worse. I mean, I, I can't think of anything that is a Biden specific decision where you say, well, that's really going to help. And his whole administration, look at what's going on. All predictable, but they don't care because this is actually what they want. Ultimately, the problem we have in this country right now is that we do not want the same future that the Democrat left does. We don't we do not see this country the same way. We're not trying to get to the same place through different means. We actually want different things. And the only way that we can come back together is when both sides can live in some kind of objective reality and see things like the crisis at our southern border and say, "Okay, this is a big problem. Open borders is a bad idea. Democrats won't do that. Not really much we can do except try to take back power and force them to stop being crazy. But the Border Patrol told me that they did inform the Biden administration and let them know that this influx was coming. So it's not as if the Biden administration didn't know about it. And it's not as if they didn't have time to get prepared for it. But it is clear they are completely unprepared for what is going on the border now. And they're going to be even more unprepared for what will be happening in the coming months. What the Border Patrol told me, and this is actually part of the cartel strategy, because of the volume of people coming across the border, the Border Patrol that makes uh, the, the arrest, they have to engage quite literally in babysitting. And while they're doing babysitting, that provides an opportunity for the cartels to be able to bring other people across the border illegally. It's not a talking point to say that there is rampant lawlessness now at our border it is objective reality i mentioned to you that the cartels are now giving color-coded wristbands to show how much or which cartel or you know that someone's paid up essentially and that way during their transit they are at least theoretically not supposed to be uh sexually assaulted kidnapped uh, not not supposed to be ransomed that's what it says 
to give you a sense of, of how much control the Mexican authorities really have at their own border, the cartels are sending people with wristbands uh, and, and showing that they're making a lot of money off of this process. The other part of it, and this is what Governor Abbott of Texas is referring to, is you have this, this is exactly a replay of what with the situation in 2018 at our southern border, which Democrats remember. What did Democrats do then? They blamed Trump and they blamed ICE. They blamed the men and women of law enforcement and Border Patrol. Border Patrol, which is about 25 or 30 percent veteran staffed, by the way. But they were saying, oh, Border Patrol is a bunch of evil, evil Nazis. They said horrible things about Border Patrol um, under the Trump administration. They blamed the, the system, the apparatus for all of this. But there, this is a, a straight up replay of that situation. And what it means is that you have people who are showing up to the border and they're surrendering sometimes 20, 30, 50, 100 or more at a time. Well, if you have 50 people who show up in one group in one Border Patrol sector, that requires manpower to take them, bring them in, process them. And Border Patrol just doesn't have it. What do you think? Who, who watches a busy sector of the U.S.-Mexico border once you've had uh, 10 agents, 15 agents taken offline to process 150 detentions? Because that's what this is. They're crossing not at ports of entry. They show up, and I've, I've been there. You can see their place where you could just walk across the border. I mean, there's just, it's, it's like you're walking onto your neighbor's front yard, and they, they walk across the border. Border Patrol sees them. Because they have sensors or they've got, you know, they've got all kinds of ways of, of monitoring what's going on. And then they drive over and they say, OK. And then the, I mean, there's there's nothing you know hostile or dangerous about these exchanges. It's just the people that show up, you know, generally speaking, the people who show up are saying, uh, OK, I've got credible fear. They've got to get processed. And once that happens, uh, you've got people that now have to take paperwork and they've got to go through all this stuff. And that means the cartels can just start running drugs across the border, opioids, whatever they want, human trafficking, you know, child trafficking, awful stuff going on. No one there <clears throat> right in the United States. You think this doesn't matter? Where do you think the opioids that kill people all across the country come from these days? It, they're, they're not getting them really from pharmaceutical companies. Not the same way they used to. Now what they get are pills that are made to look like pharmaceutical drugs from the cartels. The cartels do this purposefully because they think it raises their street value. And they're just making them in vats in Mexico. In fact, the precursor chemicals for this often come from China. So you've got Chinese chemicals arriving in Mexico, cartels using them, making these ultra potent. I mean, you take one, you can die. Ultra potent opioids uh, with with who knows what kind of I mean, there's no quality control and they're distributing all across the United States. But there's no problem at our border. America's a nation of immigrants, right? That's what they'll, they'll just start bleeding some nonsense. They won't deal with any of the problems. Yeah, we're not, we're not a nation of illegal immigrants. That's actually not how this all was created. But nonetheless, here we are. This is the, the reality that we face. I mean, who's actually even being turned back? The Biden administration keeps making it sound like, hold on, hold on, we're going to process them. They're processing them for entry. That's why they're all showing up. They're not getting turned away. Everybody knows. Do you think if you've paid 500 U.S. or 1,000 U.S. to a cartel to be, and it's usually a lot more than that, depends on where you're coming from, but if you're just paying the entry fee and getting the wristband, it, you, you think you haven't also talked to people about how you show up and say you have a credible fear of violence? 
Whole family units in El Salvador, whole family units in Honduras have a credible fear of violence from transnational gangs or their government. Well, then the whole country has that fear. It's not specific to them. Anybody could say that. This would be like somebody from, you know, uh, from Detroit showing up in your hometown or somebody from Chicago showing up in your hometown and saying, I have a credible fear of violence, so you have to give me a house now. Well, why do you have a credible fear of violence? Oh, because you come from a city where there's violence? I mean, that's true of a lot of people. It's madness, madness what's going on right now. And the Democrats, they're just trying to, they're just trying to shuffle things around and hope that people don't figure out that Biden has kicked the border wide open, and that's what, that's what we are seeing. I talk to the folks on the border regularly. That's just not true. They are letting basically everybody in. They're not turning away people right now. They're turning away a few but uh, under Title 40, 42, but they're letting people in, and they're citing them and releasing them, and that's what's happening here. Uh, they, they know there's a huge problem. That's why they, a couple of weeks ago, they opened up. They anticipated this surge. That's why they opened up additional facilities. I've seen some of those facilities when they were, there was nobody in them. Those are now full, and they're going to keep getting full, uh, more and more full. And just think about this. We're already almost at the same level that the highest level of apprehensions we ever did in the 2019 surge took place. That's where we are now, and we're not doing anything to slow it down. In fact, they're actually continuing to encourage people to come across. Why are they coming across right now? What changed? Well, I know they'll point to a lot of things. They'll say, well, COVID is dying down now, or they'll say that there are there were a couple of hurricanes. I saw Jen Psaki say that there are all these different theories out there, but the timing of it is really suspicious, isn't it? Joe Biden becomes president and all of a sudden huge numbers of illegal immigrants at what was clearly a crisis, considered a crisis in the past. Huge number of illegal immigrants are showing up at the border. And why would this stop? Think about this. The Biden administration will fundamentally not enforce immigration law in a way that prevents people from gaming the system to get access to the country when they're under our laws, not supposed to. That's that's what's going on here. They they won't do it. They're not actually going to enforce the law. So why would why would this stop? It's not going to anytime soon. And, you know, eventually the only way it stops is if there is some either penalty or some deterrent for showing up and claiming asylum in this way and then getting gaining entry in the United States. But this is the best. I've said it before. This is the best time ever for a, a person who wants to be in the United States and doesn't want to have to go through our legal immigration process in good faith. All you really have to do is is show up now and then just wait it out until you get to a place of. Uh, you get to a place where you can. Get amnesty, which is what they're all hoping for here. Now, I want to talk more about the the wokeness cult, right? Because for one thing, if you discuss immigration at all, you know why this doesn't bother so many people on the left or some of the elites? For one, they, they like cheap labor. They generally like that idea. They want the Democrats to have more votes and they can just retreat back into this this uh, psychological safe space for themselves where they'll just say uh, we. We don't care what you say about the border. Uh, it's racist to have a problem with massive illegal immigration. That's what they'll that's what they'll tell you. They won't even engage on, on the issue. It's just a race issue. That's what they'll say. Okay, I mean, there's people from all over the world showing up illegally at the border, and and we wouldn't want people illegally coming in from any kind. But they they won't they won't accept that. They won't accept that at all. 
And once you understand how little room there is for dissent or disagreement uh, on the w- with the woke left, you start to understand how we've gotten to this point where we have a de facto open border, where we have uh, the open censorship of the most powerful media companies, social media companies. Remember, they're supposed to be platforms for every person. That's what they were built on, founded on. That was the, the central promise was that everybody could have a voice online. Everybody can talk to each other and have their presence. And now that they've gotten ultra powerful, they go, actually, we're going to stop that whole thing. There was no principle involved. We're going to shut you down. Question Fauci. We're going to shut you down. Question the election. We're going to shut you down. That's what they do. Now, anybody who has had a classical small L liberal education would see this and think that this is atrocious. They'd see this and they, they would assume that there must be an, a, a tremendous backlash against this from people who even call themselves liberals in the contemporary American sense. But that's not what's happening. I think we're seeing now there, there's a, a, an awakening of the conservative mind. There's awakening of the, of the reasonable, rational mindset in America where you see they don't care about double standards they, they don't care about these these things that these uh, expressions like freedom of speech and the First Amendment and all this. These are just slogans that they were willing to mouth when they had to. You know, these are just slogans that they would say. Um, and they didn't really mean it. And now it's their turn in their eyes. Now they're the dominant force in America today, culturally, uh, for corporations and in, in politics right now. And they're going to just just ram it down our throats. That's their attitude. Doesn't matter what. They don't care about hypocrisy. They don't care about double standards. In fact, they revel in hypocrisy. The woke left thinks that being hypocritical is a privilege of the powerful. They love it. What are you going to do about it, conservatives? That's their attitude. Yeah, we want to crush the GOP forever. What now? They don't worry about fair play or good faith or any of these things. None of that comes into the conversation. That's for chumps. That stuff's laughable. Right. Just remember uh, Frank Herbert, Children of Dune. When I am weak, you know, I ask for freedom because that is according to your principles. When I am strong, I demand obedience because that is according to my principles. That is the, the, really the central ethos of the American left today. When they're in power, it's shut up and do what you're told or else. When they're out of power, it's, hold on a second, you guys promised that we could have the free exchange of ideas and that there are core principles that bind us together as a people and the Constitution and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All that seems gone now, doesn't it? It's just whatever they can get away with, whatever they want, however they want to do things. And you particularly see this with the wokeness cult in schools. And there is a piece I, I don't often tell you you really should read the following. But there's a piece by Barry Weiss, who was at the New York Times. She's a liberal. Or, you know, a center-left person. Uh, she's a Democrat, for sure. She was the New York Times. She left because she realized that the New York Times, you weren't really allowed to publish alternative points of view on the op-ed page. Think about that. I mean, this if, if you want... A, a metaphor or if you want just clear symbolism of how far the intellectual left has fallen from pretending to have any actual principles or anything that they believe in other than the raw exercise of power and the self-gratification, the gratification of their emotional impulses as members of this cult. 
all you have to do is look at the fact that you can't even publish opposing opinions on the op-ed page. Can't do it. Risk your career. Just ask uh, anybody who, who published Senator Tom Cotton about sending in the National Guard. Hold on a second. They sent in the National Guard. Oh, but they did it because of QAnon. Not allowed to do it because of the rioting BLM lunatics. Can't do it. Can't do that. No National Guard. You know, they're trying to burn a church down across from the White House. Can't actually send to the National Guard for that. Starting to see a pattern here, aren't you? Raw exercise, raw exercise of power. No, no principles even worth discussing with the other side. They don't care. And once you get into the wokeness cult in schools, you see just how intellectually and morally decrepit the left has become and how absurd and they're poisoning our culture. They're poisoning our society and they're doing it in the places where they believe they get the most bang for the buck. They're going to have the most cultural and economic and political influence over the long term. They are rotting these institutions. They are rotting the people who go to them, these elite schools, rotting their brains from the inside. We have not even the beginnings of a counter movement to this. We, we have not even the beginnings of of really the pushback that is necessary here. Uh, this this is a, a, a threat to our sense of America, the, the country that we think we live in. This wokeness cult goes to the very core of it and, and in a way where it destabilizes it on purpose and, and seeks to eliminate and remove some of those, well, the shared bonds, shared history, shared sense of what this place is all about. The idea of America itself is under assault from the wokeness cult, and these are powerful individuals and institutions that are getting their way, I mean, in, in ways that I've never even seen before. I mean, you can't, you can't even begin to catalog all the different pressures and all the different chilling effects that are happening right now in our society because the people who are in charge are a bunch of of uh, power mad crybabies who want things the way they want them. They all want to pretend to be victims. They all want to pretend that they're brave and good and courageous when they're actually a bunch of mob minded petty cowards. That's what's actually happening in the country. And what's going on in the elite schools is uh, the, perhaps the best example of it you can find right now alongside the social media brown shirts that are running around locking down people's accounts and not allowing them to even converse to speak against this is to put all of your moral capital at risk. That's a line from this Barry Weiss piece at uh, City Journal, which is just just an amazing uh, deep dive into what the title is here, the miseducation of America's elites and how you have parents who are very wealthy. Th these are wealthy, uh, highly educated, and in some cases overeducated parents who are saying, they're brainwashing my kids to believe crazy stuff. Like, what is going on here? What the heck is this? And the piece goes into, uh, this Barry Weiss piece goes into some detail about what this actually means. And, and understand, the same way that college ideology has now made its way to the most powerful companies' C-suites, has made its way into the, the Oval Office of the White House, is, is now the... Uh, the preferred ideology and the way that people speak at the top of the Democrat Party is in line with the kind of nonsense you would have heard at a left wing college campus rally 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Now it's everywhere. 
The colleges are laboratories for lunacy, but now high schools are, and this is this is pointed out in the piece, high schools are the preparation grounds for that, right? They, they are prep schools in this case. That's what they actually call them, but they are preparing them to join the wokeness cult. Here is you, you, some of these lines. I mean, some of the stuff that's written in here, and it's all true. I actually know some of the schools that are uh, written about in this. Uh, I know some of them here in New York. My my own sister's and mother's school is one of the crazy places, one of the prep schools that is called out here. So, yeah. Parents who have spoken out, this is a quote, uh, against this ideology, even in private ways, say it hasn't gone over well. I had a conversation with a friend that I asked him, is there anything about this movement we should question, said a father with children in two prep schools in Manhattan. And he said, dude, that's dangerous ground you're on in our friendship. I've had enough of those conversations to know what happens. Yeah, that's right. The wokeness cult members, they're cowards. I mean, inherently, you can't actually believe this stuff and not be a coward because you have to suppress the voices in your head that are saying this doesn't make sense. This isn't helpful. This isn't true. So you're already a moral coward. And when you add on top of that an unwillingness to confront what this is really doing in the broader society, then you have just cowardice across the board. Goes on here. The fear is shared deeply by the children. For them, it's not just the fear of getting a bad grade or getting turned down for a college recommendation, though that fear is potent. It's the fear of social shaming. If you publish my name, it would ruin my life. People would attack me for even questioning this ideology. I don't even want people knowing I'm a capitalist. A student at the Fieldston School in New York City told Barry Weiss in a comment echoed by other students, the kids are scared of other kids, one mother says. And that's at Harvard Westlake for our, uh, you know, for those out listening in Los Angeles, Harvard, Harvard Westlake. Yeah. Un, unbelievable, friends, that this is what we are up against. Unbelievable. But this is where it is. This is what's actually happening. You speak out against us. Think about it this way. If you, however old your child is anywhere in the country right now, if your child speaks out in favor of, I don't know, traditional American values or something. And another student even in the class public, you know, puts online that that your child uh, is a racist that may ruin your kid's life. I mean, that may actually prevent your kid from being able to get into college or get a job or that could follow him or her around forever. That's the kind of really fascistic control. And this is where you start to see, I mean, the Bolsheviks and the fascists, you start to see some of the similarity in mentality. Anything they want to do is justified. Any destruction is just the cost of doing business. Everything is their business. Shut up or else. That's the feeling that, that people now have in this country who just don't agree with this stuff. And in some cases, don't agree with what's obviously untrue. I mean, now, you know, now the statement that uh, only women, only women can get pregnant and have babies. Now that statement is considered uh, untrue. And if you say it, you're a bad person. Now, math is racist, as you know, math is racist. There, there are, there's a whole movement that says that math is racist because the underlying principle that there can be a right and wrong answer and therefore there can be people better at something than other people are at something, that there can be a meritocracy, that that whole concept, that framework of, you know, achievement in any context can be put into a context where it, uh, it oppresses people and therefore math is racist. You'd say, hold on, that doesn't even make sense. That's math is racist or can be. 
That's what they're telling you. Goes on in this piece. The atmosphere is making children anxious, paranoid, even insecure, and closed off from their close friends. Quote, my son knew I was talking to you and he begged me not to. This is about the author. Another Harvard Westlake mother told me he wants to go to a great university and he told me that one bad statement from me will ruin us. This is the United States of America. Are you freaking kidding me? End quote. It's all true. One, one hint that you challenge the wokeness. And remember, this is not, I, I think we've gotten used to conservatives in the media. We all say, oh, we're being hounded. Oh, we're being undermined. It's not fair. We're censored. That's all true. And we are. But now it's you. Now you can't say wherever you are listening to this anywhere, you risk your future, your child's future by saying, I don't really think we should give up Shakespeare for white fragility on the reading list. I, you know, I, I don't think that makes you say that at your peril now. And the stuff that is, is just becoming clear. This is another great quote from this piece. I am in a cult. Well, that's not exactly right. It's that the cult is all around me and I'm trying to save kids from becoming members. He sounds like a Scientology defector, but he's a math teacher and one of the most elite high schools in New York City. He is not politically conservative, he says. Uh, but I studied critical theory. I saw Dorita speak when I was in college. So when this ideology arrived at our school over the past few years, I recognized the language. I knew what it was, but it was in mutated form. This is radical leftism now as the mandated orthodoxy in the most elite schools in the country. That is what is going on in America today. That's what we see happening. The city of Minneapolis preparing for serious unrest, another word for riots, as a result of the Officer Derek Chauvin trial, which is now underway. They've got jury selection happening here. Let's bring in our friend John Cardillo to talk about this. He's a former NYPD member and also conservative commentator, radio and TV host. John, great to have you back. Always good to talk to you, my friend. How are you? I'm all right. What, what are you seeing so far? I mean, one thing from the jury selection that was very clear is that there are people who are deeply concerned about their safety for serving on the jury. Yeah, look, I've got two observations here. One is that I'm a little concerned uh, about... Uh, the fact that they there was no change of venue. I don't believe Chauvin can get a fair trial in Minneapolis or the Minneapolis area. In fact, when you I was watching a bit of jury selection following it, most of the jurors know this case. They know the case intimately. I don't think there's anybody in the country that doesn't know this case. I mean, George Floyd became a household name, so did Chauvin. It essentially shut our nation down. There was civil unrest in multiple cities. Second, what bothers me is why Chauvin's lawyers opted for a jury trial and not a bench trial because typically judges they're not emotional in these things cops typically fare better depending on and look justice needs to shake out on the evidence but judges will typically rule on the evidence because they don't want to be overturned down the road and, and this is you know this look this is still uh minnesota you're going to have relatively moderate to right-leaning appeals court judges and so Chauvin would have done, in my opinion, anyway, I mean, I watched a lot of cops go to trial and I can't recall, you know, maybe more than 5% of them taking a, a jury trial, opting for a jury trial. I was very surprised they didn't go with a bench trial. But again, the jurors are going to be in danger here. If it's not physical danger, they're going to be doxxed. Their addresses, their, their places of work are going to be put out there. They're going to be harassed. I was shocked that there wasn't a change of venue in this trial. I don't see how that can be fair in any way, shape or form to the defendant. 
Do you feel like there's concern that that Chauvin just doesn't have competent counsel? You know, I don't think that's the case. I just think that, you know, it's been it's been the trend where these lawyers we saw this all through the uh, the Mueller investigation. We saw it with General Flynn's initial counsel, Roger Stone's initial counsel. These lawyers have to exist with these prosecutors. So they play a little nicer. I mean, there are a few really good attorneys out there, guys like Mark McKenzie, who'll fight the federal government and win. But those guys are really few and far between. They built enough of a name for themselves where they can go out on their own. They're powerful enough. You know, in a guy like McKenzie's case, his dad was an AG. He was a high ranking guy in the U.S. attorney's office in, in the Southern District. But there aren't many of them. And so these these lawyers tend to play nicer than they need to with the judges and prosecutors because look chauvin's a high profile case but their next case might be a dui and they don't want to see that guy run through the ringer out of some kind of vindication against uh, uh retribution against them by the prosecutors by the judges our system is fundamentally flawed in that respect i, I think you know judges work for the government right they're being paid by the same people the prosecutors are being paid by so you've got to be really careful when you have an emotionally charged trial like this, such a high would be called in law enforcement, you know, there's a press case. What would be your I mean, if, if you were defense counsel or, or let's say you were brought in as this would be even be more likely to happen. Right. If you, if you were brought in yeah. as an expert witness for the defense, I'm sure you've read I've read the the actual uh, coroner's report and toxicology report that's right. out there. How how would you make the defense case for Officer Chauvin based on the facts that have been presented up to this point? Well, there's one other element that's not getting much press, but we'll understand why, and that the knee on the neck restraint was an approved restraint by the Minneapolis Police Department. So the, the, the argument is, did Chauvin apply it for too long? But when you combine the fact with it having been an approved restraint, something this guy was taught in the police academy and told you're allowed to do this, when you combine that, with the meth and the fentanyl and the other narcotics in Floyd's system, I don't see, forget that I was a cop buck, just as an American citizen who wants to see fair justice, I don't see how you don't have reasonable doubt that Chauvin, that Chauvin's actions killed George Floyd. The guy had look, deadly, I mean, deadly levels of fentanyl in his system, a downer mixed with methamphetamine and upper. That's got your heart and your central nervous system doing all kinds of crazy things. Now the guy's using an approved restraint. We don't know if Chauvin was continuing that restraint because of Floyd's erratic behavior at that close, intimate level. There's there's so much doubt here. I don't see how they get a conviction. And I think, lastly, he was overcharged. I think the, the murder charge is too high of a charge. I don't think prosecutors meet that bar. We're speaking to John Cardillo, formerly of the NYPD. He's a conservative commentator, TV and radio host. And, John, I, I mean, we're all expecting, I, I think there's nobody out there you can even see what the city of Minneapolis is doing right now, uh, expecting that this could get very ugly very quickly. And one thing that I yeah. believe everybody needs to be prepared for is that even if, let's say, there's a manslaughter conviction, so on, on the lesser charge mm-hmm. than the than the murder two that they've, they've uh, put on there. And to me, murder two is just clear overcharging. And when you yeah. see the justice system do something like that, really to uh, to just mollify the mob at some level right i mean to make them feel like things are are getting a little better for some reason that's disconcerting in and of itself but even if there is a manslaughter conviction it it feels to me like there could there could still be uh riots and and major unrest oh there's definitely going to be and look overcharging 
is a chronic problem in prosecutors' offices because they want to, you know, they want to swing for the fences. So take police cases out of this, the ones that cause riots. When Casey Anthony was charged with second-degree murder for killing her, her daughter, I was sitting with a good friend of mine. He's a very good uh, criminal defense attorney here in Miami, a former prosecutor, and his wife's a judge. And we looked at each other. We said, she's going to walk. That, that is a – they cannot meet the bar for murder two in Florida. But these prosecutors want these big cases with these big charges and hopefully these big guilty convictions and long sentences. And so they, they swing for the fences. But we know this, right? I mean if you're a sports fan, you know the guys who are the home run hitters also have the most strikeouts. And so th- I think they're heading down that road. But, yeah, Buck, no matter what happens here, if they convicted this guy of capital murder – they're going to riot because they're going to say, see, he it was capital murder. The cops are vicious killers. Let's riot. If he's acquitted, they're going to riot. See, it's unfair justice. A white cop killed a black guy. If it's manslaughter, well, they charge too little. We're going to riot. I don't think there's any escaping riots because that Black Lives Matter, Matter Antifa mob have been told you have permission to riot if the wind changes direction. You have permission to loot and steal and murder and destroy because you're the left and you've been aggrieved and you're people of color and Yada, yada, yada. And so I really just feel bad for the residents and the merchants in that city because they're going to be the ones who suffer at the end. John, I also want to ask about the extension now of I think it's about twenty three or twenty four hundred National Guard deployed around our capital. And, you know, yeah. that, that, that's that's a serious deployment. I mean, people have been pointing out it's it's more than than we have in some countries that we consider combat zones deployed. Uh, th- this is this is a serious number of troops. They're extending it for two months. I, I, I sit here. I sit here and I say, when do people just realize how absurd and actually ominous in its own way it has become that the new Demo- the, the Democrats in charge, this new Biden administration are willing to do something so absurd, but also so menacing and, and, and unnecessary? Oh, it's reprehensible. It's disgusting. Right. But I think a lot of this is Nancy Pelosi and that lunatic. That that former general, Russell Honore, who's outed himself as a far leftist, almost a radical, he calls conservatives. I mean, he thinks if you're a conservative who voted for Donald Trump, hell, I think this guy thinks if you voted for Mitt Romney, you're some kind of insurrectionist extremist. I mean, I can't think of a worse guy. Now, listen, when he ran the operation during Katrina, I thought he was a bit of a blowhard. But I said, okay, you know, maybe that's his style. He's a Cajun. He's a general. He came in on the horse. But after seeing his statements of late— this guy's unfit to be in the position as the as the head of the panel deciding what security around the Capitol needs to be. I think this is the most un-American thing I've seen in a very long time. We have a First Amendment right to petition our government with our grievances. It's enshrined in the Constitution. And now we're being told not only can't we do it, but if we attempt to do it on the steps of the Capitol, we might get sliced by razor wire or shot by armed troops. Buck, I can't think of anything more un-American. I remember when even the mere mention of National Guard, while there were active, ongoing riots in Washington, D.C., with with ongoing violence against uh, members of law enforcement. And this was also part of a movement, as we know, uh, BLM and, and Antifa across the country that that remember Tom Cotton's op ed in The New York Times, you know, send it, do, send yeah. in the guard yeah. that that, mm-hmm. that was. They said that that was tantamount to violence, that they was calling for violence against against people of color by saying that there should be National Guard deployed to stop riots in D.C. <laughs> now they've got the the National Guard there deployed like the parks police or something, just making sure that nobody's littering. It's crazy. Oh, they, they wanted to treat a cotton like he was Heinrich Himmler bringing in the SS 
I mean, he was vilified. They wanted to kick him out of Congress. They wanted to see this guy excoriated, his family shamed for generations. Biden does it, and it's meh. And then this guy, Russell Honore, comes out, and the media is celebrating him as if he's some national hero, some savior. I think this guy's a, a tyrannical lunatic who needs to be in a mental asylum for his comments. This is insanity. I mean, you've got a president who doesn't even know, know the name. You saw that clip that's floating. He didn't even know the name of his own secretary of defense. I mean, clearly, Joe Biden is not making these calls. Somebody is making these calls. And I think these calls are dangerous. It might be Nance because he asked her permission. Biden did. If he was allowed to take more questions on his virtual town hall, whatever that charade was. But Pelosi and this guy, Honore, that's a scary combination. And this isn't me being rhetorical. This isn't me being hyperbolic. These people despise the right. They would love to see us dead or in prison. And 2,500 armed troops around the nation's capital in front of and behind razor wire, the optic that's sending to our enemies that America is not America anymore. This is a national security as well as a domestic security issue. Who do you think, John, before that you go, is the most who is really the most powerful voice in this Biden administration? Barack Obama. <laughs> Easily. Hands down, Barack Obama. I think he's the puppet master of all this behind the strings. He's, we're seeing Obama's third term. Just look. You and I have said this how many times on social media and, and when we're out socializing. Personnel is policy. Biden's administration, 90 some odd percent of it are Obama administration appointees. This is Barack Obama's third term. If I had to point to one person who's the most powerful voice in the Biden administration, I'd say Barack Obama. John Cardillo, everybody follow him on uh, Twitter and social media. Well, while you still can, true of both of us before we all <laughs> before the purge Thanks, gets bud. us too. John, great to see you, man. Thanks so much. Take care, bud. Bye.